everyone. Welcome to... <laughs> Man, we are dating ourselves. Welcome back to our... <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome to our second episode of Judgment Calls. Judgment Call? Judgment Calls. Judgment Call S+. That's what it is. I'm one of your hosts, Julian Dahlquist, the manager of the Moorhead Fargo Robins. And I am Paul Seeley, manager of the Bedweezy Fusion, which never gets old. <laughs> never, ever. <laughs> and today we are talking about one of our favorite subjects, as far as a strategy card game goes, and that is meta. So Paul, you and I have talked on the internets here and there about this mm -hmm. very subject. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed any trends with pitching, hitting, in the in the teams that you've built with this uh, slate of cards, the twenty twenty set, I feel like it's really easy for me to find left handed hitters, and it's a lot harder for me to find right handed hitters. Funny you should mention that. Uh, I was doing some research the other day. It's re yeah, very uh, uh, professorial research, we'll say. Mm -hmm. And let me know if anything stands out to you about this list of players. Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Charlie Blackman, Nellie Fox, Shohei Otani, Jeff McNeil, Joey Gallo, Bryce Harper, Jordan Alvarez, Ken Griffey Jr., Stan Musial, Cody Bellinger, Austin Meadows, Christian Yelich, Juan Soto, and Max Kepler. Uh, I think the answer is uh, they're all lefties. That is correct. You win our prize, which is continuing this conversation. <laughs> Wow, because I'm, I'm I'm broke. It's 2020. I have no money. I, that rhymed. I'm impressed with myself. Mood. <laughs> yeah. These are all left-handed hitters, and I kind of think they have the edge in this game right now. I think lefties are are the guys to use. Yeah, I mean, I think you can add Sam Hilliard and Ed, Edwin Rios to that list as well. Um, as hitter, there's like left-handed hitters that are very good. Um, I ran into that situation a lot when I was building for Polar Power. Was I just wanted too many lefties, and I I couldn't fit them all in there. Oh, for sure. And something that really struck me as interesting, even though he's one of the more used lefties that I've seen in the past, Cody Bellinger is the only one out of that whole list that is below an on-base twelve. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, Bellinger is interesting just because his chart's really good to make up for that on base, but that on base 11 is rough. Um, and because there are so many good lefties, I usually end up not rostering him for that reason. Yeah. And I think it is hard to justify paying for someone like Cody Bellinger. And I think there are just simply better options available, like... Um, Oh, what is his name? Oh, yeah. Uh, Babe Ruth. He's the best on-base hitter in the game. He is on-base 14, R plus 1. He has two outs on his chart. It's not a debate on who is the best on-base hitter in the game. It's it's not. There's no discussion. It's him. It's, it's not close. And I think it's arguable that he's the best extra-base hitter in the game because... He doubles on 15, he triples at 18, and he homers at 19, which 
basically means, you know, there are hitters that have lower doubles, like 13 or 14, or home runs at 18, but his on base is higher than theirs. So Mm -hmm. they might get, when they get on their chart, they might be more likely to hit that extra base hit, but he's going to get on his chart more often. And so really he's the best at both of those things, in my opinion. And, you know, I mean, the downside is he's not very fast and his fielding is okay, but I'm, I'm willing to make that trade. Oh, yeah. And you, you mentioned his fielding. I found myself, uh, because I've, I've found it, it's okay to sacrifice quite a bit on fielding. I started, The plus two, I think, is pretty good. I, I don't see Babe Ruth getting rostered as a DH anywhere. Um, I think that if you build a team that... That plus two is pretty average and pretty standard, so I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, two is very manageable. Oh, for sure. And you know, getting back to you know the value that he provides in the lineup, and and with the just countless left-handed hitters, you know, ba- balancing out that lineup is maybe a little tricky with how how many tempting lefties there are. But mm-hmm. there are still some good right-handed hitters, right? That we could that we can supplement Babe Ruth's on-base yeah. capacity with. Yeah, and and this is a an issue I had with team building, and I'm sure you did as well, is finding a right-handed hitter to hit behind Babe Ruth is really difficult because you want your right-handed hitter to be, I mean, you want the hitter behind Ruth to probably be a right-handed hitter. Because you don't want your opponent to just throw an L plus three pitcher into both of them. And you also want that hitter to be good enough that your opponent doesn't want to just intentionally walk Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. And at least for me, I tend to want my hitter behind Babe Ruth to be eligible for, for Hail to the King because it kind of sucks if you have Hail to the King in your hand and then your opponent intentionally walks Ruth and then it's just sitting there in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know a lot of people who have rostered Babe Ruth don't do that. So, um, you know, I mean, this is literally the first time we're using Babe Ruth, so I can't exactly say for sure if, if that's a requirement or not. <laughs> um, you know, the obvious prime candidates for this, I think, first, like, the best is Jermaine Dye. Mm-hmm. Um He's the second best right-handed hitter in the game, and he's much cheaper than the first, who is Anthony Rendon, who we'll talk about a little later. Um, he is eligible for Hail to the King. He's got three outs, 16 double, 18 home runs. So, like, if you give that dude plus two on base, he's going to punish you. Like, you do not want to give that guy extra on base. The downside is that die is slow. And so, yeah, you could run into some double play situations. But you're also giving him plus two on base. So good chance it's going to be on his chart in the first place. So that's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, the option that I end up going with is a little bit cheaper. Um, Dante Bichette, who is not quite as good. He has 11 on base instead of 12. He doesn't have a handedness bonus, whereas Jermaine Dye has L plus one. But Bichette is still hailed to the king eligible, and he's right-handed. And his chart's better, which means that plus two on base is even more powerful. Uh, he's got four outs, 
He singles at six, which is kind of amazing. He has 14 double and 18 home run, which means that extra two on base is like even more valuable because his chart's even better, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you don't, you're trying to put your opponent in a position where they don't want to have to do that because you want Babe Ruth to actually be able to hit. The downside to both Die and Bichette is that they're both fairly slow, and so double plays might be something that happens. So if you're worried about that, another option would be going with somebody like Ronald Acuna, who is not necessarily as devastating of a hitter, but he's still held to the king eligible. He's right-handed. He's still a very good hitter, and he's fast, which is going to make the double plays difficult. On a little bit of a higher price range, Anthony Rendon, who I mentioned earlier, is the best right-handed hitter in the game. Hail the King eligible, 13 on base, R plus 1. Four outs, 16 double, 19 home run. And he's also 16 speed, which is going to make the uh, ground the double plays to be fairly tough against him as well. Um, the difficulty with Rendon is that he's just like pretty expensive. So if you're having him plus Babe Ruth, you're kind of locked into a very expensive lineup because you also need somebody who's fairly good behind Rendon in order to protect Rendon. So that makes that pretty difficult. My spicy pick of a good hitter to hit behind Babe Ruth is actually Stan Musial. He is a lefty, and Babe's a lefty, but Babe Ruth's R plus one, and Musial is L plus two. And... So that kind of makes it really interesting and in that you're, it's really tough for your opponent to play matchups because you have opposite handedness bonuses. And Musial is the second best hitter in the game without question. Um, he's also 16 speed, which means he will prevent those double plays. He has 13 on base, L plus two. I should say also being a lefty, L plus two is really nice. If you are anticipating a meta where people are rostering pitchers that are lefty and have bonuses against righties um, to get that bonus against switch hitters because a lefty L plus two you don't give your opponent their bonus and you get your bonus so that's pretty nice Hmm. and he has four outs 15 double 18 triple 19 home run downside uh, he's expensive so just like Rendon it's like you kind of are committed to going very expensive if you end up going with somebody that high behind them. Whereas if you go with somebody like Acuna or Die or Bichette in the kind of, you know, 450 to 550 range, that gives you a little bit more flexibility than 600, 650, 700, 750. Um, I think honorable mention, I think Trout and Mookie are people you can put in there. Mm-hmm. I just don't like them as much as the other alternatives personally. And, so, and something I think is interesting, too, <clears throat> you had mentioned Ronald Acuna. For me personally, I, I think it, it's safe to say we're talking about a four-hitter, right? Uh, if we, I would assume Babe Ruth is most at home at the three-spot. Oh, I disagree with that. I oh. bat Babe Ruth at the two-spot. Oh, interesting. Why, why do you choose the two-spot for Babe? Well, so part of it is because I build lineups sabermetrically which mean, basically means traditionally, like a traditional lineup will be bat the best hitter third. 
Um, sabermetrics tend to say that your best hitter should be at the two and the four spot because the two the four spot gets a little bit more valuable at bats, but the two spot gets um, more at bats. And mm -hmm. the three spot is actually the fifth most valuable spot in the lineup because the three spot is more likely is most likely to be the spot where the bases are empty with two outs because that's how the first inning starts. It's a very minor thing. It's not a huge deal. And the other part of it also is like that's how sabermetrics work in real baseball, but that's not necessarily how they would work in clutch baseball, and we don't necessarily know that. But I'm just like building that one. Absolutely. And I, I think the other reason that I put Babe second is basically you, you you are going to need two very good hitters behind him because you need one very good hitter to protect Babe, and you're probably going to need a hitter that's like not quite as good but still very good to protect that hitter. Because um, if you have, like, you know, let's say you have Jermaine Dye behind Babe Ruth, and then the person you have behind Jermaine Dye is, like, no offense, Luis Arise. There's, like, it would it'd be pretty easy to just intentionally walk both to get to Arise because – He's not nearly as much of a threat as Dyer, Babe Ruth. Hmm. So you definitely want to, in my opinion, have at least a couple guys. And so if you're batting Babe Ruth at the three spot or even the four spot, if you're putting two very good hitters behind him, and ideally you're not putting really bad hitters in front of him, you're starting to spend a lot of salary on your lineup, which if you do that is fine. But um, – I have t tried to avoid going too high on my lineup um, mm. just because of how I've been building recently. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you could probably dedicate a whole episode to this, but with the new cards that we're seeing in, in expansions 7 and 8, that there are so many, I don't know how to phrase this, but I, I, for lack of a better term, affordable aces that you can mm -hmm. plug in you know the ones that come to mind are matt moore uh, uh julio urias urias mm -hmm. i'm sorry for butchering his last name but those two you know, with with a lot of the four innings five control guys and crazy good charts yep i think that what you're talking about with filling your your lineup with with more power hitters high on base hitters at the same time is is much more possible without giving up too much on pitching too right and you know i think it's reasonable for some people to not to want to spend more on offense and less on their rotation i don't think that's necessarily bad but as soon as moore and urias went were leaked and i learned of their existence they were instantly on my team I love their cards so much. And so if I'm doing that, I'm basically committing to at least a 2,500 to 3,000 pitching rotation. And so I can't go around spending 3,300 on my lineup, but I still want to have Babe Ruth. And so I think that's possible with Babe Ruth in the two spot. I think that's a lot harder the further down you move him in the lineup. And something I thought was interesting that you brought up with uh, following Bay Ruth with maybe a slower hitter and the 
Achilles heel, if you want to call it that, for someone like uh, Dante Bouchette, is the the speed factor, mm-hmm. the potential for double plays to be turned. How do you feel? Of course, thinking strategy card wise, you know where I'm going with this. Supplementing that kind of a choice with something like hit and run, for example. How at, at what point do you say? This is really not that big of a concern. I think there are other uh, managerial decisions or rostering decisions that can parallel this sort of example with you know, risking a double play, but padding that risk with hit and run. Does that does that factor into your decision making when you throw a team together? Absolutely. Um, I mean, that was the reason I am comfortable running a slower hitter behind Babe Ruth is because I think I can use cards like hit and run or a card like high chopper to avoid double play plays on ground balls uh, situationally. The difficulty I have run into with hit and run occasionally is if my opponent's pitchers have a lot of strikeouts and their strikeout range is similar to their ground ball range, it's not really helping me very much. Because if I'm just as likely to get a strikeout as I am a ground ball, then either way, that's probably going to be a double play if I have Bay Ruth trying to steal. So in situations like that, I have tended not to use hit and run. But if I'm facing a starting pitcher where they have four strikeouts and they have eight ground balls, then I'm absolutely going to be using that. And if my opponent has a reasonably weak infield defense high chopper is a good way to stop those ground balls as well and that's that's something too that i've when i've when i've built i of course tend to gravitate more towards high powered offense right Mm -hmm. and then looking at early on when i started building teams when i started playing clutch regularly i wanted to kind of build around strat card choices and really just kind of push I can't remember if I talked about this at all in the in the first episode but for me when I play when I play strategy games I like I like to play really unconventional approaches that one it pushes my brain in a different direction right I don't want to that was the one thing I hated about MLB showdown back in the day was that every single person had Mike Schmidt all of those damned promo cards Everyone had the same lineup, the same strategy deck. There was just it was just who could do it better, faster, right? Right. And so, playing different different games over the years, going for what uh, I don't know if it's universally referred to as jank, but just really playing kind of not not necessarily oddball strategy decisions, but going for maybe an unconventional approach that is still effective enough to keep your opponent second-guessing, but also kind of getting in their head, make them think, well, I have no idea what to expect now. Taking advantage of certain cards and combinations and stuff. And I think there are some out there. I think it's, you know, with the, the card pool that we have, it's it's kind of tricky, but one that I stumbled into was a Hole in His Bat and using that to, to dovetail and to dialed in. And I probably don't have the best, <laughs> the best team for that, uh, since I'm I'm more you know low uh, starting rotation value wise and higher value bullpen pitchers, but just 
if nothing else, experimenting and, and pushing and pulling and seeing, you know, where I can get a lot of interesting synergy for my card choices. Absolutely. I think there are a lot of very good cards in the right situation. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything that is so good that it's overpowering the value of all the other cards. I think that there are cards that are universally useful, and so I will always have them in my deck, mm -hmm. but not that many of them. And I think I adjust a lot based on what I think my opponent's running. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's something I think is huge, too. And, and you know, speaking candidly, something I really haven't done much of, uh, I tend to just kind of home in on my, my own approach and my own strategies and finding the synergies therein. But especially with everyone playing, well, for the most part, a unique stadium, you can play into those synergies a little bit. But, you know, taking advantage of managerial decisions and kind of seeing the writing on the wall, you know, later on in the, uh, the, the pre-Polar Power league that we had, the Joust, uh, I started uh, decking I Hit the Road Jack and just finding you know, opportunities to get good value out of maybe lesser-known cards. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we can all look at each other's rosters ahead of time and, and you know, change a little bit of our strategy deck going in. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, historically, that's something I've really struggled with. And so, yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because I think that's, that's a really uh, powerful component, for lack of a better term, in, in this game that we play, especially with league play, uh, because, you know, just going into, like, for example, going in with uh, empty real estate, there we go, mm -hmm. uh, you go into a, a field that just does not work for that at all, and right. you've got three dead draws in your hand. You know, it's, it's interesting trying to find not so much just combinations of strategy cards with each other, but finding strategy cards that dovetail with players. And I, you know, you, you have these cards where if you've, you're listening and you're not totally familiar, Hail to the King gives you plus three on base, plus three to the swing. If you have three more icons, otherwise you have to discard three cards. And Legends Never Die is it increases the mistake pitch rating for the pitcher based on however many icons your hitter has. And it adds to the swing. Also an interesting note is that Hail to the King also increases clutch by three, which is not usually useful, but occasionally is. Um, but um, yeah, Legends Never Die will increase your swing by one for every icon that your hitting icon that your player has. And if you discard a card, it will increase the mistake zone range of your opponent's pitcher by one for every hitting icon you your batter has. And that's a card I just recently traded for, and I had not had in my collection, because I think that was a limited run, yep. limited availability card, if I'm not mistaken. It, it was, and I'm glad they don't do those anymore. Yeah, thank goodness. So if you're listening, Nick, thank you for that. But going back to what I was saying about finding synergies for players and cards, I don't think there's necessarily a player that you could say was created for one strategy card or vice versa that there was one strategy card created for one certain one specific player i think you can you can 
open it up a little more broadly and say there is a tier of players for which cards are made. And it's obvious that Hail to the mm-hmm. King and Legends Never Die made for those high-octane players, the heavy yep. power hitters. Mm-hmm. I look at someone like, you know, I'm really excited for, for what I could experiment with Billy Hamilton, for example, looking mm-hmm. at a card like Slap Hit, which yep. lets you totally bypass the pitcher control scenario and just you've already hit it on the ground. Can they beat your speed on a defensive throw? Right. That I'm a big fan of that. I I also am a fan because I think for one, you you kind of pull the thematics for the game in another direction, right? That mm-hmm. typically it's well, can you add more offense to this at bat, or can you add more defense? Right. Well, you can add more speed, and that doesn't necessarily equate to more offense. It's speed is dangerous and speed can help you. Uh, you know, there's, there really isn't any downside to it as far as offense is concerned, unless you take into account the the higher point total that you're, you know that that is conceivably the only downside to speed, right? That it costs more points. Right, and what I think makes slap hit really good is that if you're paying for high speed on a player, usually that means you're paying a lot for it. And you're sacrificing the ability to hit with that. And slap hit doesn't really care if you can't hit. As long as you're fast, it works. And so slap hit's really nice with just one really fast guy like Billy Hamilton. Because really you only have two of them in your deck. And if you have the option to play slap hit, you're going to play slap hit. Mm-hmm. So... It's not really ever going to be a dead card unless somehow Billy Hamilton is always batting with runners on base, which I guess isn't impossible, but seems fairly unlikely. And so it's it's just really good. It, it, it's very useful for that. I'm definitely using that a lot in Color Power. Would you say it's strong enough combination to lead off with Billy Hamilton in your lineup? Um, I wouldn't because... I think that you're not going to be able to have every at-bat of Billy Hamilton be a slap hit at-bat. First of all, because you only get two of the cards in your deck. And if you're not, if you don't have slap hit, then basically you're putting a pretty bad hitter leading off. And I think the person who gets the most at-bats in your lineup should be good. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking, not totally changing gears. When you look at starting pitching, you know, what what are some of your priorities that you want to cover? I'm broadly speaking, I, I I'd mentioned the the two you know five command pitchers that are are being introduced here in in the newest expansions. But mm-hmm. speaking more generally, is there anything that you want to cover when you're throwing your rotation together? Any any major priorities for you when you're team building? So, part of that's going to depend on the format. So, for example, in Polar Power, once we get into the playoffs, your fifth starting pitcher doesn't have to start. Mm. So, for me, my priority is for my fifth starting pitcher to suck. <laughs> because they don't have to pay for a pitcher I'm not using to start in the playoffs. 
Um, so that's, I mean, that's part of it. The other thing is, in general, starting pitchers, and, and you can look at um, relievers and starters that are similar, starting pitchers will generally cost more per inning than relievers will. And by that I mean for each inning that a starting pitcher pitches, their cost goes up more than uh, a reliever would. Mm-hmm. So to kind of bring that out into math terms, a, a multi-inning reliever, so Josh Hader, will pitch one inning per game because he can pitch one inning and then two innings and then rest. So that's three innings over three games. So over five games, he will pitch five innings. And if you wanted to find a five-inning starting pitcher who is as good as Josh Hader, he would probably be a lot more expensive than Josh Hader most of the time. Because a five-inning starter would pitch five innings over five games. Because oh, for sure. He has five innings. Right. The, the plus side of starters, though is you get to use cards like dialed in which is really really good and so part of the process is you have to kind of balance um how much you value that versus how much you value just having good value in your bullpen and so for me i know that not everybody agrees with this but for me my highest priority is always using four inning and five inning starters because it's well within reason to make up for that with a deep bullpen because if you have six one inning starter one inning relievers and two two inning relievers that's six innings per game out of your bullpen and if your starters are all four innings and five innings that should be fine and so for me I tend to want my innings on my starters to be lower and I want a deep bullpen. So I never, I usually don't go for 50 point relievers. I'll go for like 75 at the lowest Hmm. basically. And thinking introspectively about the, the decisions that I've been making lately with regard to my bullpen starting pitching, I've, been building my teams under the impression that if I can if I can make it through four or five innings with my starter which would of course be ideal then I want my bullpen to come in and just absolutely take all the air out of the opposing offense mm-hmm. and give my team my offense a chance to come back and that's really what my strategy is going to be something when we talk about the, the starting pitching in the in the discord that so many people are in agreement that you know six innings pitchers are are less ideal because of what you said that they're more expensive of course but i think something that i can't remember seeing this point brought up but the, the more i think about starting pitching that you're also paying for the opportunity to bring in relievers at a point where you're less likely to be behind as, so mm-hmm. you, you talk about Josh Hader and, and his value, and that's, that's unquestionable. But you, you, you look at that point, you know, that, that innings per point analysis, and you say, 
Yeah, but that's at the mercy of a shaky starting rotation. Exactly. And so that's kind of a lot of the balance you have to play. And, I mean, you can use good five-inning and four-inning starters if you want to. Um, that's kind of where I went with my polar power roster mostly. I went with Matt Moore and Julio Urias, and I have Brett Anderson, who's from my home park, and I have Tony Gonsolin, who was pretty good. And then I have Pop, you know, Patrick Sandoval as my as my fifth starter because I don't have to use him in the playoffs. But yeah, I think you can oh, do yeah. for a cheaper rotation, which for the most part you won't have, other than Matt Moore, who's a god. Um, and the downside is yes, you you are giving up the advantage earlier, but the benefit is your weakest pitcher is going to be pitching when your opponent has the least amount of cards because mm. it's at the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. And so they have the least amount of times to hit a power die on your chart on your pitcher who has a 23 home run, or they have the least amount of options to take the advantage or to hit, you know, when they get the advantage, absolutely crush the ball. And so to a certain certain extent that does help mitigate that a little bit and the plus side of doing that is golden ratio is a very good card that you play once a reliever gets a strikeout and for every strikeout your pitcher records you draw a card and you can transfer that from reliever to reliever and so if you're bringing in relievers early in the game it's really good and so i mean i think we've seen some teams in polar power have p- starting pitching oriented teams and i think that's possible specifically because of how good dialed in is because that card is very good and it makes that viable i think oh yeah and i think too the beauty of that card is that it's a common and you might say well good you say beauty i say I don't think that should have been a common. Oh, really? I, I, mean, I think that it's way too good to be a common, personally. I think, I think it, it creates a, a comfortable dilemma for players to look at, like what we're talking about with the starting rotation versus a bullpen mm-hmm. decision, you know, where you put your points. I think it adds to that heaviness of that decision i think that it also that even though major league baseball is is kind of trending away from the traditional you know power starters with the opening reliever and what have you Mm -hmm. i think that yeah i think that starters should be the emphasis more or Mm -hmm. less that it kind of helps ground the the uh, realistic aspect of the game a little bit and and yeah. puts more focus on the starting rotation because i think it going back to what i was saying earlier if you one. had that card maybe less prominent in the game you're opening up to a pandora's box of all kinds of wacky managerial decisions and i'm not saying that dialed in alone is stopping that but if you don't have something to kind of prioritize reasonably good pitching i mean there's a reason why nobody 
has Drew Smiley in the rotation, right? There's a reason why we have Patrick Sandoval and not Drew Smiley, apart right. from the 20-point difference. No, right? And this is where you get to the real-life game versus the card game version, that you have, yeah. to, you have to make those decisions. You have to have the push and pull of, is this person rosterable? Because I, I, think, I think you can't have a fully functional card game without having just unrosterable players. You know, there's there's always going to be a worst player. There's always going to be a best player. And yeah, I, I think to a certain extent, stuff like that is a safeguard to make sure they don't accidentally create something ridiculous, mm-hmm. like an MLB showdown having like CC Sabathia as like a ten point starter, um, or the typo Juan Guzman from two thousand one, where he yeah, has forty so like, points. So, you know, I think I think having it's it's a good control for that. Something I, I did want to clarify. I think in the current the way the current cards work, dialed in as a common is a good thing because it does make starting pitching better and it makes it more viable. I would rather starting pitching be made viable with multiple cards hmm. and not just one common. That's like really really good, but it's well needed. Yeah, and I think it, it. I think if nothing else, it provides a good foundation too for your strategy building, mm-hmm. um, because it, it just feels right as a foundation. You know that you 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 bring in a pitcher, they strike someone out, you mm-hmm. can play that and and get them through a couple more innings. Like it's just having three of those. It doesn't. I don't feel like it's taking the place of anything else. And I'm not saying that's what you were saying, but. Right to me, it just, it just. I think it's it's a beautiful complement to the to the other cards in your deck. That it doesn't, you can you can have that as a staple, but it doesn't dilute your overall thematic structure of your strategy deck. Well, yeah, and it's a very like obvious baseball concept, right? Yeah, your pitcher's doing well. He's dialed in. That's fairly easy to understand just from a thematic perspective. So that's pretty. That's pretty cool too. And I will say too that, again, kind of going into the devil's advocate role, something that's kind of unforeseen is the the beauty of that card is you get dialed in, you get that advantage, and then you roll a one on the next pitch, right? So there's potential there for <laughs> because we've all been there where you play mm-hmm. that damn card, you need it, you just need a couple more outs or whatever to get out of this inning, and you roll. A mistake pitch the next batter and your your thought process for the next couple hitters is just thrown out of whack to use a poker mm-hmm. term you're, you're on full tilt yeah but that's that's kind of cool that's very baseball-y you know P- pitchers get rattled and and that mm-hmm. just is what happens and yeah. then they roll a walk everything's fine you're still in the game <laughs> <laughs> and then Luis Arias comes up and hits a grand slam because that's just what Luis Arias does. Maybe. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> 100% of the time, he's effective all of the time. Yep. We, we haven't, I, I don't think we covered this at all in the first episode either, but so you're talking managers, right? What, what do you look for in a manager? I or a think, coach, I should say. I think for the most part, there are picks that I would say are 
my default choices if I don't have a reason to pick somebody else. So, like, I would use Aaron Boone as my coach unless I had a reason to use somebody else. But I do think that there are very valid reasons to use other coaches. At least for me, I tend to run Andrew Bailey as my pitching coach, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. That said, I there are people who run stuff like Mike Maddox or Brent Strom who do very well. It, it's more of just I'm familiar with that card and I know how to use it, so I'm comfortable with it. You're talking Bailey? Yes. And so, I mean, I tend to use that basically all the time just because I usually don't have a pitching strategy that requires a separate pitching coach. Hmm. I do think if you're running some kind of strikeout dialed in oriented with K icons, you could run Mickey Calloway because he triggers a draw or discard on every strikeout, which dialed in guarantees every ounce of strikeout if you have the K icon. So that's pretty, pretty nice. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I think there's a lot of options and none of them are clearly the best but I, you know that's just what I'm comfortable with as far as the bench coach um, I tend to use Boone as my default just because I love card draw I think card draw is really valuable you can use it at the beginning of the game and if you have cards that draw cards you get to use Boone to draw your cards that draw cards and then you're Cards that draw cards, draw more cards that draw cards, and just keep drawing <laughs> cards. And that's very good. I think that's very good. I think Frank is a very good, Frank uh, Robinson is a very good card as well. The nice thing about Frank is you can use him very selectively, and so you can choose your timing on when you want to use him for when you have the opening for him to be really good. So... I think those are my main two that I end up going with most of the time. I've, I've seen other people use cards like Rocco Baldelli, and I've seen them use cards like Rear Crenteria, and I think that's a really interesting card if there were more options to discard stuff. Like I do think Rear Crenteria is interesting. I would say that Aaron Boone and Frank Robinson are my main two that I use right now. Oh, I would absolutely agree. Um, I think Boone was the main impetus for including managers, coaches in, in the conversation because I don't think I don't think that I see any manager slash coach used as often as I see Boone. And I think that, that he speaks for himself with the card draw ability. And I agree with you 100% that card draw like we had discussed on the first episode is the is the main goal short of winning of course card draw gets you to your power cards mm-hmm. increases your likelihood of victory because when you get when you get that log jam that's devastating yeah and you know I, I did see you know looking through the the rosters here for polar power it's pretty pretty solidly boon there's a couple of renterias uh, Buck Showalter, I think, is interesting. I feel like this is one area, not to get too critical of the game, but where we can really broaden the possibilities of 
thematics and, and mm -hmm. synergies and, and rostering decisions. Um, I know that I had submitted, I don't remember how long ago, uh, a Ron Gardenhire card suggestion. Um, and I still think it would be really cool if, if he got made, but just adding emphasis to little guys on the team, because I think that's really kind of what he is most known for, at least with the Twins anyway, which mm -hmm. tend to be a small ball team uh, up until 2019. And I never thought I'd say this, but thank thank God they did because God, having a power team to watch is just fun as hell. <laughs> um, my goodness, and having what I would say is the modern day equivalent of Babe Ruth and Nelson Cruz in the lineup is just oh, it is just something to watch. the 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 ball just makes a totally different sound off of his bat compared to everyone else. You will get no complaints about Nelson Cruz here. <laughs> and I'm a little heartbroken with myself because he was one of the last cuts that I made. Uh, I ended up using uh, Daniel Murphy, who's actually a card that I'm surprised I don't see more often in He's very good. I like regular play. He has that bonus. He's an L. He's a left-handed hitter. No, right-handed hitter. Left-handed left hitter. hitter with L plus. Yep, and uh, he's he's an on base eleven plus two versus lefties. Doubles on a sixteen. And I was okay with that because I think that people will – I think there are a lot of good left-handed pitchers, especially mm -hmm. with low-end pitchers, uh, mm -hmm. especially in, in starters. So I, I'm comfortable taking that, that bump on the base on base number because I think that there will be a good propensity of left-handed starters in the game. And probably relievers too. I think. I think. Um, yeah, I think. I think you just have a ton of options with relievers. Yeah. But I think if you think about cards like Patrick Sandoval, who's a left-handed pitcher with a right-handed bonus, and we talked about this earlier, but having a left-handed hitter with a bonus against lefties is super powerful against a pitcher like that. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other pitchers like that too: James Paxton, uh, Robbie Erlin, who's awesome. Tony Watson, uh, Jake Diekman, lots of lots of cards like that, and I think, and those are very popular, and they've been popular because they get that advantage against switch hitters, and so having a lefty with the L plus bonus is really nice. Yeah, and and that's something too that you know we didn't really talk much about is handedness bonus in the lineup. I think the handedness, I mean, really one is becoming of the other. Right, mm -hmm. that you have, you know, a lot of good lefties. Well, then L plus pitching is probably not a bad thing to have. Right. I think, you know, one of, and I, and I, this is just me talking candidly, but you know, I really struggle with the team building when I can't see the cards in front of me because I'm just, a, just by nature, a vis very visual person. Right. I have, mm -hmm. I have a degree in photography, and that's just, that's just how I have always done it, playing whatever games is having the actual physical cards is helpful for me. So looking at, you know, the options for relievers, it was difficult because I started getting crunched for time a little bit and I didn't get a chance to really get fully comfortable with the newest cards that are coming out. So one thing I wanted to cover was to make sure that I had a reliever for every handedness situation, right? Because yep. you can say, well, hopefully most of the time 
your reliever comes in for three batters, right? Mm-hmm. One innings worth. I want the majority of that to be the fullest benefit that my reliever can provide. So right. I wanted to have a lefty that's good against lefties, a lefty that's good against righties, a righty that's good against righties, and a righty that's good against lefties. Yep. And then the other four can be whatever. So I think I actually ended up with four lefties and four righties. Um, and of course, having Dellen Batances subbed out Koji at the end. Uh, he mm-hmm. and he and Nelson Cruz and Luis Arias were the three that I think I pulled the plug on to get Matt Moore in there because I feel like Matt Moore right now is is a must play. Um, he, he's so good. I mean, I, I feel bad for Eric. I, I just uh, played Eric in game one of Polar Power last night. I gave up one advantage the whole game. I mean, the downside of Matt Moore is he has negative three clutch. So if you're pitching him in Boston, you're going to have a bad time. Mm-hmm. But if you aren't pitching him in Boston, you're going to have a great time. Exactly. And going back to what we started out the episode with about lefties, that's where he excels. He's a mm-hmm. five plus two. And he's, what, 470 points? Yep. Just bonkers. Still. My yep. goodness. Just five command plus two against lefties and nineteen outs is it's really good. Yeah, and it, you look at uh, Kent Maeda's card. Basically, I mean, he doesn't have the the nineteen outs, but I think he's what control four plus three versus righties, and he's pitched five, and he's in the three fifty to three ninety range. Mm-hmm. Just really good for the value, but the righty. Bonus is, is not has not been a selling point for me. I don't mind it because I think it's pretty hard to predict what you're gonna see. Mm-hmm. I I don't mind having either because especially as, as a starter, you don't get to choose who your starter pitches against. So you're gonna pitch against everybody. Mm-hmm. And the guy that I has not been brought up yet, um, but I had written down was Yusei Kikuchi. Mm-hmm. I have always loved his card for, you know, the, the three X zone that he has, the 23 home runs that he has, a control four with plus two versus lefties for, I think, 155 points. Yep. I'm sure he's five innings. He has no walks, right? So you're not going to eat away at his, his innings pitched on his card from walks. Yeah, you'll just get a single on a chart twenty five percent of the time. Right, <laughs> but I mean, if you if you just go s- s- strictly by the numbers, that is a damn good chart to have for the point value. Well, yeah, and especially you know, it, especially depending on how you predict the meta to go. If you expect to see a lot of very powerful left handed hitters, which we've talked about, we tend to expect that, especially. Cards like Babe Ruth, cards like all of the lefties, then having a six command against them for 155 points is not bad. Right. And, you know, yeah, you're going to give up a lot more singles. And so a card like that will be more vulnerable to 
having innings where you just give up a lot of pitchers' term hits and you give up a couple runs, but you're less likely to get an inning where you just give up five home runs. Right. And, you know, for me, you know, when I look at the the potential risk with Yusei, you look at his chart, right? That it's the it's the uh, sixteen to is it sixteen to twenty is a single. I am not sure. Going from memory, I I I don't think I've built a team where I haven't used him, and I should have it memorized, but I don't. But a sixteen minimum. You look at like you said, twenty five, roughly twenty five percent of his pitcher chart results in a single, right? So you think, okay, well, we have zero outs. We're starting an inning. First guy gets out. Second guy gets out. Third guy hits a single, right? Mm -hmm. In order for that real damage to be realized, you need to string some hits together or give up some advantages. And the odds are still in your favor with you, say. Yeah. I I think chances are that you'll probably have an inning where – you string a couple hits together, or your opponent will string a couple hits together, but it's not a, it's not something that's going to happen every inning. Mm-hmm. I think you say is a great pitcher for if you know you're not spending a lot on starting pitching, and you're spending a lot on your hitting, and you just want a guy who can pitch four or five innings and not suck. <laughs> Right. Well, then therein lies the problem is what is the definition of not sec? Because I, I think with the you know, when I, I was keeping track of my most recent build before I you know brought in the expansion cards here for seven and eight that uh, tabulating my my uh, ERA, I think for you say was a seven. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not great. Yeah, not not great. But I also kind of expected it because. You know, as as we had talked about, I uh, I tend to gravitate towards poor starting pitching and really investing heavily into the offense. And he does have a sixteen to twenty single for for your information. Yeah, which is you could say bottom of the barrel as far as pitchers charts go, but you look the at no walks is really nice. Yeah, yeah, that's. And when I first started playing, uh, Jordan Yamamoto was someone that I would use consistently. And the mm-hmm. walks really dog him. Yeah. Because he has the 17, 18 walks, and that is just something that at least every other game I would take an inning away from him just on walks alone. Yeah, you, you if you're pitching him, he's basically a four-inning pitcher. Mm-hmm. And he's still, like, good, but that's just going to hurt him a lot. Mm-hmm. And those walks are killer. Having the two-walk pitcher, I just think, is something that you just try to avoid, if at all possible. It's pretty brutal. I, I love having two walks on my relievers because they're only going to pitch one inning anyway. But on a right. starter, it's really brutal. Right, and it's just one of it's one of those sneaky things. I even tried building – I can't remember if I told you this. I tried building a team – where walks was the goal, and so I went, I combed through all of those damn cards, and I found the 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 most powerful, highest walk range. And wouldn't you know it? Guess who had the highest walk range out of anyone? 
I'm going to take a guess that's Babe Ruth. It is Babe Ruth. <laughs> because he really needs it, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he wants a lot. I had, I had I, Joey Votto. I think I had Bryce Harper, Babe Ruth. And uh, it was, it actually, I think on its worst game, I played maybe four or five games with it. I was playing against David, uh, who manages the Aces, and uh, I I want to say I had a minimum of five walks per game. But the <laughs> the problem with that, I think I maxed out at twelve, which I was just like mission accomplished. I can disassemble this team. I just wanted to see that it was possible. But I, like, I think it's reasonable to do that just because the hitters are still good. Mm-hmm. I don't think you want to pick bad hitters who happen to have walks. You just want to pick good hitters who happen to have walks. Right. At that point, walks aren't necessarily your main goal. They're like a, a side goal. Right. And, and I think that works really well, actually. Yeah, and and looking at someone like, I want to say Eric Sogard, uh, who is, is a card that I just hardly ever use. I think I've only used him for that team. But he's yeah. someone I've, I've seen. I, I think Robert has played him... Um, I think I've seen him on other teams too, I but I seem to remember because I want to say he's like two fifty ish for an on base twelve. I think he's got eight outs, and I apologize that I'm trying to pull this from memory. I don't have my cards in front of me, but he has a really good walk range, and yes, I I would much rather have someone like Eric Sogard just just walk the bejesus out of every plate appearance. <laughs> Versus like Luis Arias, who this is really his downside. You know, a card is really good if their downside is they don't have a very good walk range, and that's just how good Luis Arias is, everybody. Right. And, and this is his card. This isn't even him in real life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go find him on YouTube. You will not be disappointed. Okay, I got off on tangent. I'm sorry about that. So it's Eric Sogard is is a lefty. He has fall on base. He has seven outs, and his walk range is from 8 to 12. And I feel like at least half of his at-bats were walks. Mm-hmm. And I know you're going to hate me for saying this, but I'm actually... I, this is something I wish we had covered in the first episode, but just as long as we had covered it at some point, the card table setter, I know mm-hmm. it's your least favorite card in the game. It's actively bad. <laughs> well, I don't know how actively it is. I don't think anyone uses it, and I hope nobody uses it. With all due respect to the folks that put it together. Um, yeah, they're probably not here anymore. <laughs> fair. On on face value, though, I think Chris Bryant was the guy I was uh, looking at its potential value with, right? Mm-hmm. You have three batter's charts outs. It's on base 13. He has a high walk range. I want to say it's 8 to 13. No, it wouldn't be 8 to 13. It would be 5 to... I want to say it's 5 to 10 or 5 to 11 for Chris Bryant. Or 4. 4 to 9. 4 to 9. Yeah, there we go. Um, Looking at table setter, you think on paper, well, if you take 2 away from every roll, then your average is going to be right around the walk range for Chris Bryant, right? You look at... Because your average roll on a standard D20 is 10, right? 10.5. That math checks checks out. Yep. So you either get in the 10 or 11 most of the time, or you're averaging 10 or 11. So if you take two away from that, you're averaging between an 8 and a 9. 
which is right in Chris Bryant's walk range. And it was in the walk range for most players, I would say. However, in reality... That's not how math works. Well, it is how math works, but that's not how clutch works. Because you're just you're you are in fact lowering the average, but you are not increasing the propensity of eights and nines on your charts. Right, you're you're just increasing the number of negative ones and zeros. Yep, <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. it. Although I will say, as as stupid as that card is, it actually it actually worked. <laughs> bad for saying that but that was one of those things where it's like i just want to push this crazy idea as far as i can and see and just see what happens i did that that was that was my one of my finer uh, uh, assemblies the other one was building a ground ball heavy team and i don't know did you end up with st louis for polar yep, power I did. are you are you going that route um, so I, I actually thought about this a lot because... Because I mentioned it to you? No, because... It, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> because I, I had to think about how much do I value trying to maximize use of the stadium versus how much do I value just using the cards I like. And ultimately what I came up to is... I like I, I, I will use ground ball pitchers one because I was already using a lot of them that have good ground ball ranges and there's nothing wrong with using ground ball pitchers they're not necessarily inferior in any way they make golden ratio a little bit worse but it's not like a huge deal um, the what I ultimately came down to was I wasn't gonna try to be super fast in my lineup because I felt like when when I tried to build with that it was so restrictive that I ended up making a lot of bad choices in team building and then the same thing happened when I tried to have defense a certain amount like I think there was a point where I was trying to get defense at least 12 on the infield and that became really restrictive as to what I could use and I was kind of forced to use players that aren't I don't think are very good and so, ultimately, I felt like using ground ball pitchers was not restrictive because I think there are good ground ball pitchers. I think that saying I'm only going to use batters who are speed 15 or higher is very restrictive, mm -hmm. basically, is what I came down to. So, oh, you're, you're, you're talking more or less preventing your opponent from reaping the rewards of st louis yeah so I so i so so i have ground ball pitchers so that i could take advantage of st louis i felt like the net benefit of preventing double plays with fast players was not worth it that makes sense and strat card wise are there many that are that synergize with ground ball pitching I, I'm asking as someone who built a deck around <laughs> ground ball pitchers. I can't remember off the top of my head Again, if there I are any. No. Yeah, I don't think there's anything particularly relevant. There, there is, um, there is a card called your best friend, 
mm-hmm. that's an uncommon that uh, you put it on your pitcher after a ground ball, and after every ground ball outcome your pitcher records, you can draw a card and then discard a card. And that's not terrible, but it's not great. It's, it's not my favorite. And then if you use that, you can't use dialed in, and you can't use golden ratio or whatever. And so that's not exactly great. I think the benefit of a ground ball centric team is that you just kind of get that bonus passively without doing anything. My my big sticking point with St. Louis is you look at the maximum potential of return, right? And you put that up against, say, Toronto and say, okay, how many cards is this stadium going to get me, right? You look at St. Louis's possibilities because you get one, you draw one card for every double play you turn, right? Mm-hmm. There is absolutely no way you can turn two double plays in an inning. So that checks out. Bar- but then you have Toronto where you draw a card on every extra base hit, which is, of course, what I tried to build around and why I was more than okay putting Daniel Murphy in for Nelson right. Cruz because they both double on a 16. I said, well, I can, I can ease up. On the, on the gas, on home runs a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with doubles. That's okay. You can draw your entire deck in several innings. Like Yeah, Toronto's it, really good. Um, really, really good. I mean, if I had a choice of Toronto-St. Louis, I would take Toronto. I did not have that choice, though. So, And I apologize for that. Well, with an asterisk on that apology. I, I apologize <laughs> that you were not offered that choice. Should have rated it higher. It, but I mean, didn't. if I did, then you wouldn't have it. So well, Probably. Uh, it's not necessarily true, because I would have kept it number one. Because, well, yeah, I, I, I got to I thinking. Had it, I, had it, I had it number two, I think. But if I rated it higher and I put it number one, you wouldn't have gotten it. Because I, I remember when I was making my very careful, very timely decisions on stadiums mm-hmm. i thought well what if i what if i kind of play against the meta and is it do i have a better chance of getting what i really want if i put it at number two i said no. well no i put it at number one i gotta put right. it at number one mm-hmm. and i've been rolling texas for i don't even know why i've been playing texas and not toronto i think because i, I had some other car- yeah but it's not toronto solid toronto's probably the best stadium in the game it's 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 ridiculous um but looking at texas versus toronto i think i think i had some weather cards (laughs) that i wanted to play and now even that is gone because i think texas was eroded into a a Mm -hmm. sheltered stadium you know what it's for the best yeah i agree because last I, i i remember seeing that game the twins played in arlington where it was a lightning storm, and it made Josh Willingham like fall over at first base because he was scared the bejesus out of him. It's on YouTube. Check it out. It's pretty funny. But I think they canceled the game, or at least postponed it. I just meant it's for the best because it stops you from playing weather card. Oh, I got you. Although there's some fun I, that when I was getting into my really janky uh, builds, there were some fun weather card possibilities. I, I, of course, can't remember the ones I used. I think Dog Days was on there. That's the one weather card I will use occasionally. Yeah, that's the one that adds that subtracts from the pitch, right? 
No, the dog days, if you walk, it counts as two walks for tired. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know which you know which team I put that with then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was ridiculous. It was put fun. It on your speed team, but it was yeah. Put it on my speed team. That it was fun, but it was ridiculous. Yeah. You're going to have a hard time when Dog Days is one of your most cherished cards in your strategy deck. Yeah. You know, I will do that in a series format sometimes. If my opponent has a pretty thin bullpen, I, I, will, I will use the Dog Days to try and tire them. Because I'm, I get to play them again later, so... Mm. I you know I actually benefit from tiring out my opponent, whereas in, in a regular season where you only play one game, you don't benefit from tiring out your opponent. Your their next opponent benefits. So what's the point? That's a really really good point. I, I might do that if I make I have to make the uh, playoffs first, but yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely something I have considered. I mean, if they have a deep bullpen, it probably doesn't matter. But if they're thin, that's definitely a situational card. I'll bring out every once in a while and that Spice is why i have bit. four multi-inning relievers on my team because mm-hmm. i'm because i'm very smart yep That's <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know we we talked a little bit about strategy cards in this episode but i feel like we only really scratched the tip of the iceberg yeah, I, there's definitely a lot more we could talk about. It's one of my favorite aspects of the game. Uh, I think I think we should do a deep dive into strategy talk next episode. Did someone say deep dive? Deep dive. Deep dive. Is that is that today's secret word? Well, that's a strategy card. Oh, oh. Well, deep drive. Deep drive. Okay. You, you threw me off there. I thought I I thought I won a free ticket to something. <sighs> you won a free ticket to a new episode <laughs> about strategy cards. Good for one deep dive slash drive into strategy card meta. Well, thanks for lasting this long listening to me rattle off uh, Luis Arias's name twenty seven times. And, of course, Paul, thank you for hanging in here with me on this lovely evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is that you happen to be listening to us rattle off uh, Luis Arise's name 27 times. It's been a pleasure to be here. This was fun. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Hopefully, uh, we we gave you all something to uh, work with as far as strategy goes in this game we all love so much. But until next time, I'm Julian. I am Paul. And this was Judgment Calls. We'll catch you on the next episode, everybody. Have a good one. <laughs>
pieced that together pretty well, I must say. That was pretty good. It's almost like I've done this before. <laughs>